Thank you for listening to the Power Shift Mindset. We'll be discussing techniques, concepts, and strategies to help you achieve the success and happiness you are looking for. Thanks for joining this week's show. We have our first guest on the podcast, one of the top archers in the world, with multiple national and international medals, Paige Pierce. Yeah, we had still quite a bit of shoots because we had a full indoor season and I shot every single indoor World Cup. So that adds like a ton of events. And then um, outdoor, we really didn't lose many. We only lost one FIDA. And then the NFAA held all of their events at one time in one place. So an OPA still happened. So realistically, we lost the outdoor World Cups and we lost one, one USAT. We didn't lose much this year, honestly. It was just a weird format, right. but uh, yeah, you, you had to bounce back and forth. Yeah, this year it's going to suck because we're basically losing most of indoor season. So, right, I think this one's actually going to be hit harder than the last one, just because you know everyone's freaking out since indoors inside <laughs> and COVID. And all. Right. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, just from a money standpoint, I wonder how much both NFA and USA archery are going to lose on not having an indoor. Cause I'll be honest for me, for, for someone like you, that you need your USAT points, even with the indoor rankings, you're going to shoot it. But for me mm-hmm. to pay an extra $40, just for them to put my score on another sheet of paper, mm-hmm. it's not worth it for me to shoot it. I mean, yeah, I paid, not an, that, it's- I paid an extra $125 for this t-shirt just for them to put it on another. Yeah. <laughs> another it's not worth scorecard. them to hold tournaments where they can't register enough archers to even make money. That's the real problem. Like, regardless of the small things, if let's just say like Vegas is huge, they have 4,000 people. If they have such a small number, they can't make a profit. They're going to lose money. Why have it? I'm not saying that's happening. I'm just saying like, when you really start to look at it, there's such more strict limitations set on indoor venues and outdoor venues that I just don't see how anyone is like, I know I'm registered for Iowa. I'm registered for Lancaster. I'm registered for Neem, but I am not holding my breath that they're going to happen. I was small enough. It probably could Lanc- even Lancaster. I feel like they're dead set on it, but. But I heard Lancaster is not having youth, the youth divisions. So you knocked out a thousand youth mm-hmm. archers and their parents. Yeah. So that reduced, that reduces the crowd in half, but I'd say 20% of those youth archers who can probably outshoot some of the adults mm-hmm. might still go then would still come but the thing is too like um when you really look at it like pennsylvania right now you can have what like gatherings of 10 again well even right. if they cut a thousand people out there's still a thousand people that need to shoot so the thing right. is is i feel like it's too early to really know if it's going to happen or not so i am not holding my breath on any of those to be honest i hope they happen obviously but i don't think it's looking good well even even connecticut's back in up the crowds and mm-hmm. for the for the amateur division of NFAA indoors, they're doing it kind of like USA Archery multiple locations. Yeah. Again, with it not being the big shoot, the only one that's going to shoot it is Brian because he, <laughs> when he was shooting in March, he was averaging I and mean, with the recurve, he was averaging two ninety and better. I yeah. mean, he had a legitimate chance, and so I'm still going to have him shoot it. But it's kind of ho hum to just to go to my local shop and and shoot with. 10 other people it's not the same as having 300 people on that line I know you're telling me I know (laughs) it sucks so uh I'll I'll throw an intro in afterwards I can put that in uh so right now you're ranked number three in the world on the world archery yeah correct I think so 
That's huge. Thank you. That's not one of those things I've ever like really looked at or cared about or like aspired to do good on. Um, So I'm obviously happy I ended up ranked that high, but the way they do their ranking is so different. Like they take, I don't know, different events. And honestly, in my career, I've never really fully committed to shooting USA archery. Um, It takes, or not USA archery, world archery through USA archery. It just takes so much Mm -hmm. time for the outdoor events. So like I'll come in, make the world cup team, shoot it for like a year or two, get sick of it, take a break. Then it takes a whole nother year to qualify. Then you take the year to qualify and then you reshoot again. And so I feel like I never shoot it consistently enough to really have a high ranking. So, I mean, it was kind of cool. You're more passionate well, about like what you do. It's not no, about most of it's about the numbers for me, but just not that. I, like, yeah, I don't enjoy it. I don't think it's fun. Um, Beta, like shooting that target, that what? format, Sorry, that, that style. I do not like it. I do it because it's my job. Oh. No, because I enjoy that part of it. I love like 3D and field and even indoors growing on me, but I do not really like the FIDA format. So that's why I'll shoot it for a little bit until I'm kind of sick of that format. And then I'll quit for a little bit. Then I'll go back for a year or two and then I'll take another year off. So not, at the world level, are they shooting the full FIDA with the four distances no. still? Or so it's just the 50, just 50. We haven't shot the full distances in years. Um, I actually shot it for the first time last year with the state games. Yeah. We went to the state games of America last year. And so I had to shoot 90, yeah. 70. And so that, that's definitely fun. I mean, it's bad enough trying to find a location where you can practice 90. I can't find yeah. locations here that we can shoot 70. Yeah. It's um, tough. I think um, I probably liked it a little more when we shot all the distances. I just think it's pretty boring just standing and shooting 50 and, shooting 50. And quite honestly, I struggle aiming at that target for some reason. It's just like big. There's a lot of colors. Like I like something where there's one dot on something and you aim right. at that dot to me, like the whole target looks like a dot. I don't know. I just don't aim as well on it. Um, so that's probably half of my struggle there too. Um, I don't feel as good when I'm shooting those tournaments than I do shooting like other events. Yeah, I know. I know my wife shoots the NFAA target a lot better than the Vegas target because of the colors. That just that contrast of the dark navy blue and then the white center. Yeah, and she she can't hold the yellow nearly as well as she holds the white on the other target, and mm-hmm. it's the same size, same. Yeah, you shape and everything. I really like like the field targets, the hunter targets. Um, even like I grew up shooting all the reading style events. So it's like an animal painted a, a solid color with an orange dot. So it like really stands out. There's one, you know, small thing that you're looking at and that you're aiming at, not just rings and rings and rings of color. Um, so yeah, I feel like I, I aim low. I'm like one of those chronic low aiming people. And so when there's one dot and you aim just low of the dot, I can get what a, like, I can be okay with that. But when there's a whole target of rings and colors, it, is really easy to aim lower and lower and lower. And I definitely battle that here and there with FIDA. So it's not my favorite format for that reason. So now, now with the rumors that when the Olympics come to LA, there's, they're pushing to have a compound division. Mm-hmm. Will your, will your like of FIDA maybe kick up a hair to try? So no. You have no interest in If it happens, I think it would. Well, here's the thing. I don't like it, but I do okay at it. So like, if, if that's what they chose to be in the Olympics, then well, yeah, I'm still going to shoot it. But I think if we get into the Olympics, it's going to be indoor archery, which is, I like, 
So that's fine. So you think if, if compound gets in, you think it's going to be the indoor game, not the outdoor game. We've been trying for so many years to get in with outdoor formats. And every single time it's like, oh, you're too close to recurve. Oh, you need to change this. Oh, well, you're doing the same thing as recurve. Why would we let you in? So that's why, like back in the day, they tested the hit or miss target um, at the FIDAs at the World Cup level because we needed something to differentiate compound from recurve. So we had an excuse to get into the Olympics. They hit them up with, well, to be in the Olympics, men and women need to be paid the same. So if you haven't noticed, USA Archery now pays everybody the same. Didn't used to be that way, um, at least with some organizations. So there's certain things over the years that we've had to meet their criteria, but it still seems like it comes down to, from my knowledge, you and Recurve are doing the same thing. The only thing that's truly different from what they're doing is indoor. So I think if we have a hope, that's where it's going to be. What about doing the feet of field if they pulled that in? Or even if they went with the NFAA format. I wish, I wish they did that. But honestly, it's just so hard to cover having different mm. shooting places. Now, the way the OPA ran their event this year, having like a shooting station and you had just a, like a concrete pad and then five stakes at that pad and you shot five targets at once. That's something where you could get through a feed of field format with just a couple shooting locations. It would be a little easier to cover. Um, that would make it more doable than shooting one target at a time and then trying to cover what we're doing. But I just think it's so hard to have spectators out there. It's hard for the media to cover it. Like if it's something that's truly going to be grand enough to like make it into the Olympics, it's going to be something that has to be spectator friendly, which is the traditional outdoor format or indoor I feel, but I think indoor is different enough considering obviously the indoor versus outdoor element that, if we have a chance, I think that's probably going to be the best push, but you never know, honestly. Now, I know you talk about mindset a lot, um, just like any premier athlete, you hear about that. How did you keep yours up this year with the inconsistency? Because normally we go, like I said, indoor season ends roughly in March, usually with the NFAA mm-hmm. indoor, and then you hit April in your Arizona Cup and you're outdoors. Yeah. Well, you bounce back and forth and just going to – that NFAA showcase that you did, you went from indoor target to outdoor target to field to, I mean, within four days, you shot every format possible. So I know shooting a bow is shooting a bow, but when you shoot at your level, there is enough of a difference between shooting outdoors and shooting indoors. So how did you keep up physically and the mental side of it? Well, I think COVID in general, obviously kind of had everybody down. Um, one thing that's different for me and, and other archers as well, um, compared to the normal average archer is this is our job. Like this is how we're paying our bills. So the difference between you and me. Yeah. When the, when the shutdown hit, um, you know, everyone was panicking because they were all out of work. Most everybody's jobs were shut down, but then when the shutdown opened up, they got to go back to work. Well, here we are months and months later, like I said, we're basically losing an entire indoor season now due to COVID more or less, you know, there's a few events, but nothing like normal. Um, this is going to continue to affect our livelihood because of what we do for a very long time. Um, it's not just, Oh man, they shut us down for two weeks or a month. And now we're trying to come back. It's going to mess it up for a while. So I think that in itself, it was motivating because when we opened back up, when we opened back up and there were finally events to shoot, I feel like everybody felt like, man, I really need to capitalize because we don't know when the next event's going to be. We don't know if we're going to get to keep shooting. Like we need this. 
Um, and not just like, a, oh, I want to win and I miss my hobby kind of thing, but like I have a house payment and it needs to get paid. And so I think everybody came out swinging when we started up again. And I have a feeling this indoor season, if we do get to have events, is going to be no different. Um, I think that, you know, when you're an adult is definitely a motivating factor from everybody else. I mean, so many people use archery as an outlet and like, it's such a fun hobby. They do it with their families. So it affected everybody's role in archery differently. Um, I know so many people like that's how they relax. That's how they blow off steam. And now they lost that outlet for months and months. So, you know, I think everybody just needed to kind of stop and take a break. And when you really think about everyone is struggling, everyone is stressed. Like this is affecting so many different people from, as you mentioned, like the organizations themselves to the archers, to the coaches, to families, like, kind of helps you put it in perspective and really appreciate what you do get to do after going through kind of what we're going through now still. Right. And Paige, uh, how did you get started in archery? And then when did you move into So I didn't really archery? like start Tell shooting and then shoot and later do competition. My parents both shot, um, I don't want to say professionally, but they had like some sponsors I'd say more like semi-pro, you know, they shot all the time and they were pretty good, um, but they stayed on the West coast shooting. And so when they had my brother and I, they basically just started a shooting from like when we could walk. Um, like I shot in my first competition at like two years old, 18 months old. Um, they literally like pushed us around the range wow. in a stroller would like stand you up, be like, shoot and put you back in the stroller. So I literally been shooting those three, if you can call that even <laughs> shooting since way before I would ever remember um so I basically just grew up shooting that always and then so you knew that you yeah, loved it though, like loved right it. away like I'm when like you were super a kid. competitive um I always have been my brother on the other hand like he loved archery but he didn't really love tournaments so much he didn't really like the competition so he now still shoots a bow but he hunts um so he kind of went the other route which I do that as well, but that's, you know, like obviously not my primary focus and that's definitely his. For me, I kind of fell in love with the travel, with the people, um, with the competition because I do love competing. And so when I was like 10, we went to Vegas for the first time and we're not big indoor people out here. Um, it's pretty warm outside right now. Like it's warm most of the year. So we could pretty much shoot outdoor events here year round. So nobody yeah, I'm in Northern California. Because you're in California. Um, so, yeah. so nobody really shot indoor. So we went to Vegas when I was younger and I kind of got hooked on that. And then honestly, a couple of years later, we kept going to Vegas every year since. Um, I didn't even know USA Archery existed or that that was a thing. Um, what ended up happening and what started this whole thing, I shot a state tournament for California, I think an indoor, and I broke a state record and they mailed me the certificate. And we didn't even realize there were records in our tree. And so um, we got the certificate and we're like, wow, this is really cool. So we started looking up our tree records and that's how we found USA archery because that's primarily where all the records are. So my mom looked up and shortly later, there was a state tournament here in California. I was like a bowman at the time. So I was 10 to 12, 12 or 12 or under. Yeah. And uh, she's like, Hey, let's go shoot the state tournament. So we rolled into the state tournament, like, I knew nothing. I remember the judge yelling at me because I was standing behind the line instead of like straddling the line because in 3D, what you do. Um, so I literally knew nothing. <laughs> and I went out and I broke all the state records 
for whatever division I was shooting Bowman. And everyone was like, who are you? Where'd you come from? Wow. It was only a couple of weeks later. There was a national down South, like in LA or San Diego. And my mom was like, pack up, let's go. And I went down there and I think I broke like 14 national records or something. Cause I shot up in division and you can claim down and they also have star FIDA. Anyway, their records, they were crazy, but um, basically from that moment on, I was kind of hooked on FIDA and that was my motivating factor when I was younger was like, I was like, I want to go around and try to break these records. So that's kind of what pushed me at that age. Um, and then I knew I wanted to be a pro, like after shooting that kind of stuff for a little bit and watching the pros and looking up to them, I was like, I want to be them. And a lot of kids do the normal route where they shoot their age division all the way up. And that's great. A lot of kids need that. They need to build the confidence They need to win events to get that under their belt. But I was like, I want to be those people. So I should be shooting against those people because that's going to get me there the fastest track. So I started jumping up in division. I shot in the senior division. I went pro with NFAA at 15. And at the time they like, they were like, no, you can't go pro till you're 18. And I was like, no, I want to go pro now. So my mom ended up having to sign for me to do that. No one had done that that young before. So I just jumped straight into the senior divisions and basically just started trying to play with the people that I looked up to because I knew that's where I wanted to end up. Um, so that's kind of really start to, yeah, how it that's all kind of. So yeah. amazing. Have you, have you met anyone that you look up to in archery? Like, have you met your, you know, how someone is a celebrity for us? Have you met like a celebrity um, in that way? You're like, oh my God, I can't believe I met you. You know, it's funny. I look up to so you. So when I was younger looking up, um, when I first jumped in, I feel like Erica Jones and Jamie Venata were like the two women that were kind of dominating at that time. The year I stepped up, like Jamie was killing everybody in field and Erica was like totally dominating like indoor and target. And so I really looked up to them. Um, I think the hardest thing for me was when I went from looking up to them and I was competing against them. But like, the, I remember like the first time that it's like, I beat them or I was tied with them or, you know, stuff like that. And I remember being like, whoa, like this is where I wanted to be. And it was kind of a weird realization to sit back and be like, I made it. This is what I wanted. Like, oh my gosh, I'm here. Um, so that was kind of interesting moments. Like, different times I remember you know thinking that about each each of those ladies you know when I was shooting against them so Erica uh that happened at Reading we were like on the same bail and we were like neck and neck to the last target and I remember thinking like wow I can't believe that and then Jamie and I shot off um in a gold medal match I was young I don't even know but at SoCal Showdown and it was when Compound had set points and uh, we made it all five set points tied and we had to shoot off for a final or shoot up. She smoked the X and beat me. But I remember thinking like, dang, I can't believe that happened. So with each of those girls, that was the defining moment for me that I'm like, I can do this. Like I can, I can be them. And then really kind of like snowballed from there. Yeah. I love how passionate you are. I can hear it in your voice. I can see it. Like you're beaming with that passion and that love for yeah. what you do. That's one thing with this, with this sport. And I did this in Boy Scouts in early nineties and I'd go to summer camp. I'd shoot that fiberglass bow I mean, twice in the week and then not do it again until next year. And about seven, eight years ago, I said, you know what? I've always wanted to get a bow. And then I went and I knew I wanted an Olympic recurve. And then I realized they're a lot more expensive than I thought saved my pennies. And then the following year I got one. And I mean, I walked out with an, a Hoyt 
riser and limbs and I mean, cheap tab and everything for like 550 bucks. I mean, now my setup's like three grand. Yeah. Uh, but what I've liked so much about this sport, and you mentioned how you and the other pros, this is what you do for a living. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of you can practice even through COVID. You probably have your 50 meters and beyond in your backyard. Yeah. I mean, I follow obviously Brady and Toya and Steve and Linda and all those guys. And you watch them, they just go into the backyard and they have mm -hmm. 70 meters. I mean, I live in a city. I'm lucky I have 70 feet to the fence at the end of the yeah. yard. I, and my son's practicing at and 17 yards is what we can get. I built the bale so he can shoot in the backyard. And unfortunately, we can't even get to 20 yards. Yeah. Uh, but when we go to these shoots, I, I say, like, you're not going to play golf and have Tiger Woods randomly assigned to your, to your foursome. My first outdoor tournament was the Nutmeg Games in Connecticut. I had owned a bow for six months, and I was on a bale with Butch Johnson. I mean, now he works in the, in the shop that I yeah. go to all the time. So I see him all the time. So I don't want to say it's ho-hum. It's, yeah. it's still butch. But, but I mean, six months and on top of it, I shoot left-handed. So I just stare at him the whole time. <laughs> I mean, so talk about the intimidation factor. Not, not that I get intimidated by stuff like that. Um, two years ago, I shot at uh, Lancaster. And I, I made the cut, won my first match. I draw Crispin in the second round. Of course, no chance he hits. I mean, then there, it's bad enough when you... You shoot at 30 and you still drop three points. I mean, he yeah. shot, I think, eight out of 12 11s. Wow. Um, but it's one of those with, with X10s on top of it. Yeah. I and mean, Brady's shooting 27s out of his recurve and Crispin's still, I mean, drilling him with the X10s. Yeah. But in, in this sport, and that's when I met you last year at, at NFAA, when we first sat down and talked. Uh, and I, I love that you're right there with the pros and for the most part, everyone that I've sat and talked with ha has been friendly, especially with the kids. And you see them, they, they all talk to the kids and, and, and it's like, they're more fans of the kids than the kids are to them. Yeah. And it's just it's a great atmosphere to be around from just the local level to the national level. It is. Archery is very different in that way. Um, just like you said, because everyone is well, like the professionals of the sport are so readily available to be with everybody. Um, you know, that doesn't work. Like you said, in other sports and like golf and things like that, like archery is one of the few where we all compete together. We shoot in a line together, like the pro-am events, obviously you're literally shooting on the same bale together. Um, so it's definitely a different atmosphere overall than I think anyone would be used to if they, if they grew up, you know, in different sports, it's something I don't really think about because I don't know any different because I grew up shooting archery, but I guess if I had done other sports and looked up to like professional basketball players, I'm never going to go play on a court with them. Right. I can sit and watch them play in the stands, but that's about the closest you'd ever get. Um, so I guess I, I don't want to say I don't appreciate that because I think it's a really great thing, but it's something you don't really think about if you don't really know any different. Right. Like last year we shot outdoor nationals uh, and Brian shot it with me at 14 years old. So his first time really shooting 70 meters. I mean, we literally got his sight mark on Tuesday and then started our drive to Ohio. Mm -hmm. And so he can shoot and we knew we didn't have a competition, but I wanted to be on an official record with my son shooting a national event and we're over on the practice bales. He goes, I'm going to practice with Katuna. And he jumps on the bale right there with her and just starts practicing. <laughs> and awesome. I guess, he said, I guess she hit a six on one of her shots and she pulls it out and says, we're not going to talk about that one. <laughs> but it's just, it, there's no other sport where you can do that. Mm -hmm. and, and she recognized him in the lobby of the hotel. So he was like beaming for the whole week. That's she pretty knows cool. Who I am. Um, one, one of the things that 
I talk about with my, my Joe ed program is the difference between success and winning. Mm -hmm. And I have kind of a parallel story with me and, and one with you, uh, last year when I went to NFAA, it was my third time there. My best score ever was a 288 at that point. On day one, I shot a, a 295. Uh, so day two, I'm on bail one. Um, I'm on 1D, uh, five points out at that point. I finished five points off. I followed up with like a, a 293 or 292. So I find it finished five points off the podium. Take those scores and go the first year that I went and my score would have put me in second place. Yeah. Now that's, that's the year where I met you. You finished first in USA Archery indoors. You, on that Friday night, you won their final eight shoot off. Mm -hmm. 48 hours later, you won NFAA. About three weeks later, you went and won the Arizona Cup. Then you went out to Reading where you held the course record with a goal of breaking the course record and you broke the course record. But then Linda Ochoa broke it by one point better than you. Yep. So how, how would you teach the difference of, you know, your, your goal was to beat the course record and you did it, Yep. but you don't win because winning's based on what other people do yep. around what you do. So that's something that, okay, like I said, we do this as a job. This is, you know, there's high highs and there's low lows. And what you're saying right now means so much to me, because I think that's how I try to keep a level head through doing this all the time. Um, I can't control what everybody else does. And like some weekends you go out there and I might shoot mediocre, honestly, and it's good enough to win. Other weekends, I literally shoot my absolute best, which Redding would be an example. Like I beat my goal by like three or four points, which is a huge jump in Redding and still lost. And so I was sad I lost, but at the same time, it, I didn't feel like I didn't succeed. Like, and that's the best way I can put it because I reached my goal. I did exactly what I wanted. And Sometimes it's just not enough. Um, there's other times where I've won tournaments and I'm happy I won, but I'm not very happy with myself because I don't feel like I did what I needed to do to like deserve to succeed, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, maybe I got lucky, lucky and won, but um, maybe I screwed something up or I did something wrong or there was something that I wanted to do better. And so what I really try to do is look at what were my scores from the previous years? What am I practicing? What am I doing now? And I really try to evaluate myself on how I am performing. Um, and that's why earlier when I was like, no score really matters to me. And it matters to me because that's how I evaluate myself because someone might be shooting 10 points better than me, but that doesn't mean I'm not doing my best. And I might win by 10 points, but that also doesn't mean that I shot my best, you know? So I think the best thing you can do in archery is really just look at you, look at your scores and use that as your motivation. It's hard looking at other people because you never know where they're going to be. And you might think going into a tournament, Linda's going to be the one that's going to be really tough to beat. And all of a sudden Tanya comes out of nowhere and throws a left hook. And so the thing is, is like looking at your competitors to push you or who you need to beat is really not the thing you're, you're shooting against yourself. Like it's such an individual sport. It's all one-on-one. -on -one. You control your own destiny. You can't control what they do. So I always just want to do my part to where if I win or lose at the end of the tournament, I can look back and say, I couldn't have done any better. Like I did everything I could do. I executed my game plan well. Maybe there's something I'm working on heading into that event. And it's like, I really want to get through the event with this part going smooth, whatever I've been practicing. And if I do that, then I'm usually happy. If I don't do that, win or lose, 
I'm usually pretty mad at myself. So I definitely use that as how I set my goals and um, expectations rather than, you know, the other archers. And I know that's a hard thing to do. I did not do that when I was younger. Um, but I feel like when you lose some events with the best you've ever shot, that gives you the ability to like step back and go, whoa, like times are different now. Uh, it's not what it used to be. And I need a new way to look at this. So I don't um, like start to feel defeated or start to feel down basically. And so it's just like a new way of, of approaching each situation. So I want to actually touch on that a little bit. So when you are, everyone has a bad day, everyone has an off day. Let's say you have a competition that day and you're just not feeling aligned. Is there a mantra? Is there something you practice to shift your mindset so you can get in that groove of, okay, yeah, I'm winning today. I mean, I'm in a winner mindset. Here's the thing. There's so many parts of it that, and different people, people will struggle at different parts. So some people, um, well, even for myself, like a lot of the time, the mental side of it comes pretty easy. Cause I've been doing a lot of mental work since I was like 10, but there's still days where it is so hard for me to like focus. It's like, I'm just distracted that day. And normally I'm not, I don't feel that way in practice. And usually in a turn, I'm not, but maybe it just happens. Um, or maybe I'm not executing strong that day or uh, a really common one is you're used to aiming a certain way. And if your aiming's moving a little bit more a certain day, a lot of the times people shooting back tension don't want to pull through the shot because their pin is moving more than they want. In any of those scenarios, like what I first learned when I was a kid, I was shooting Vegas and I was panicking because I'd never really shot against anybody else that was like on, on my level at my age, if that makes sense in my area. And so I was shooting against her name's Hunter Jackson. We're like the best of friends now. Yeah. And we were tied after the first day. So starting the second day, I was like so nervous. And, um, a friend came up to me and they're like, dude, don't be afraid to miss. Like you're like, that's literally all you're afraid of. That's all that's holding you back. Just go out there and don't be afraid to miss. And I'm like, well, that's easier said than done. And then someone else was like, sing a song, like pick a song that, you know, <laughs> and you like, it's kind of upbeat and sing it in your head while you're shooting. And so I did that and it helped. And so over the years I've looked at like singing versus like Ooh, a word mantra. Um, I have a very active brain, like incredibly type A, like never thinking those type shooters yeah. usually aren't that great at indoor, <laughs> aren't that great at things where it's just like very repetitive. Probably why I get bored at FIDA, just saying anyway. Um, <laughs> So with that, for me, what I found personally is saying a mantra, um, like I used to say, uh, I had practiced it on a five spot target, which is weird because I never even shoot those, but like find the four, find the five, find the X, find the center of the X, and then my bow would go off. And I basically had it timed to where I knew basically that like, I didn't, wouldn't force my bow to go off, but if everything was working correctly, that fit my shot timing. Um, the issue is I would say that, and I found myself sometimes saying, find the center of the X, 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 finally goes off and you miss. And I'm like, probably should have let down. So then I had to put like, let down in my mantra. And then I would find myself going, let down, let down, let down. And by the, like the third or fourth time, if you shoot and you don't let down and you miss, you're like, I told myself to let down. Why didn't I listen? So I kind of use that to help train myself. But for me, you, I mean, one thing I've learned through my training is you can't think two things at once. And if you're thinking something positive, you can't think something negative or vice versa. And mm -hmm. so where I had a hard time was thinking in words 
just normal talking. Um, like Lanny used to say, believe in yourself, nothing but X. Like I can, I will. That was his thing. So I used to put that together because that's what I needed to match my shot timing. And I would find myself saying like, believe in yourself, nothing but X. Yeah, right. You just floated out to the eight ring. Like it was so easy for like negative words to slip in when I was thinking in words. For me, when you're singing a song and you have a rhythm, um, you actually have to like, you're not really singing about what you're doing. You're singing a chorus in your head. You have to break the rhythm to then think in words. And that's a much harder thing to do um, than just slip some negative words into a normal like word mantra. So for me, even now today in like situations, if I'm like really struggling, I will just go back to that and just sing a song in my head while I'm at full draw to get through, you know, the round or whatever I need to do. It's so poetic though. Mm -hmm. It's like very poetic. It's like, let me sing a song in my head. And then you're focused on what you want to be focused on because well, you're shutting down your conscious, that other part your of conscious your mind. Your conscious mind is, is like literally your worst enemy when it comes to art. And so the thing is, if you've put the time in and you've done the training and yes. you've done this long enough, then your subconscious knows what it needs to do. And your conscious mind's in the way. So by singing a song, I'm taking my conscious mind out of 100%. the equation to where I'm basically just distracting it, to be honest. So my subconscious can step in and do what I've trained it to do. Um, and that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do, or it takes them too long to realize, Hey, my subconscious is in the way right now, or my conscious mind's in the way right now. Like I'm in my own way. And that's where I'm saying, again, archery is so individual because no one else yeah. knows that internal struggle that's going on or the battle that's going on in your mind right now. So it's up to you to step in, realize what's happening, realize, admit you're nervous admit you're struggling, admit you're not focused that day. Cause that's the first step. Um, it's really easy to struggle through. Yeah. A lot of people struggle the awareness. The whole day, and at the, the end awareness. of the day, they're like, I don't know why I struggled, but I struggled all day. And I want to say, well, did you try to change anything you were doing in the middle of the round? Not like form wise, but mental wise, most of them, the answer is probably no. Um, but they should have, like, if they knew it wasn't yeah. working, you need a plan B because some days it just isn't going to work. And unfortunately, we don't control when those days are going to be or when the tournaments are going to be. We shoot so many tournaments a year. It's basically normally without COVID back to back to back to back. So you don't get an off weekend or if you do, you know, everyone's going to see. So and, and, and you're traveling everywhere. Yeah. When, yeah. I, when I shot when I shot Lancaster, I actually shot two bales over from Simon Fairweather mm -hmm. from Australia. Yeah. And his, his wife or girlfriend was on the bale with me. And they said, I guess he's shooting bare bow now just for the fun of it. He says he doesn't want to touch an Olympic bow. He said he trained too hard for that when he was in the Olympics. He said he just wants to have fun. But he's selling his tab. He made okay. a bare bow tab. So basically, he was on a whole marketing tour where he was at Lancaster. And they went from Nimes to Lancaster. And they were going down to Vegas after that. So they were just making the, making the tour. So when you're competing like that and you're going and and cross cross the pond multiple times throughout the year it's it's a it takes a lot of toll on you. we uh this last indoor season was like insane we went to australia to hunt and we were there came back for three days i think got ready had to fly back to macau for the first indoor world cup which is in china so shot in china came back we had one day we did laundry Ooh. are we still there sorry Yep. Um, did laundry, packed up, flew over to the Netherlands and we shot Kings of Archery, stayed there for the week, drove down to Luxembourg, shot the next indoor world cup in Luxembourg, 
um, flew back from there. And then I came back for, I don't know, a few days, flew to Rome, shot the Inter-World Cup in Rome, did Christmas with the family, flew to Iowa Pro-Am, shot Iowa, flew straight from Iowa to Australia to shoot the Sydney Inter-World Cup, through, flew straight from Sydney, Australia, backwards over to Nîmes, France, shot Nîmes, straight from Nîmes to Lancaster, shot Lancaster, finally got to go back home for just a few days to get ready and then headed straight back out to Vegas. So like literally between, that was from the beginning of October to February that I just gave you and I was home. I could count the days on my hands. Um, it's, and you were remodeling your kitchen. <laughs> the nice part is I didn't really have to be here for that. So I just kind of showed back up and it was done. So I actually <laughs> planned that perfectly. Um, but yeah, there's always other things going on. Like life at home doesn't stop when you're traveling that much. And I don't think people really realize how crazy our schedules are. I don't feel like the people that shoot like ASA and 3D and anything, I don't even think they can comprehend what it's like to shoot the tournaments we're shooting with the schedules that we have. Um, Cause whenever I go shoot an ASA, that's like a break for me. Like it just feels so relaxed. It's like, we're only here two days. That's it. Like, cool. 20 arrows. What? Like, that's so nice. So there's a very select few people in the whole world that obviously do that from countries all around the world. And I respect the heck out of them because I know how much it takes out of you. And it's so hard because you're heaven forbid you admit you're sick somewhere now, but like you're sick along the road, different times, like you're worn out, you have jet lag, like you miss home. Maybe something's going on back home and you can't be there and you want to be something goes wrong with your equipment while you're gone for a month and you can't get home to fix it. Um, there's so much that, ha you know, that goes into that, that people don't even realize. And so it's so funny because you have one bad weekend and everyone's like, what happened to you? It's like, what do you mean? Like, I just shot eight straight. I haven't been home. Like I did pretty good at one off weekend, you know? So it's just funny because there's so much that goes into it that unless you're doing it, you really don't understand. Cause I didn't understand it until I was actually doing it. And then I looked back and was like, wow, again, I really respect the people that have been doing this for this many years. Cause it's hard. Yeah, I see the travel just that what we do locally and regionally. And like I said, we've gone out to Ohio and we've done Lancaster and stuff like that. We haven't made, we haven't done anything that's required a plane yet, but I know Lancaster, Lancaster will be on. I want to do SoCal. Yeah. I have family in San Diego, so I have a place to stay. So I'd like to get out there one time. It's a really, uh, I know when my, you would like. when my younger, when my younger son can hit 70 meters, I'll definitely be doing it. Cause then the three of us can do a team together. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, I have one of, one of the youth archers, Dewey Hathaway, is from Massachusetts. Uh, similar to you, he's uh, wiping everyone clean. Um, he won. What Dewey? What did you win? You won Lancaster and Vegas, correct? This year and Vegas this year. Yeah, um, Vegas awesome. is definitely tricky because you get there and you're like half asleep during the day because it's jet lag for Massachusetts. And uh, yeah. It's like, the more you yeah. get, the more you travel, you'll get used to that. Like at first I thought three hours was crazy. And now I don't even feel three hours. I promise the more you do it, you'll adjust faster. Yeah. I know the first time I did it, I was really messed up last time. It wasn't too bad. It was a little like, Oh yeah. Uh, and you can feel you were getting up yeah. earlier, you, going to bed late. Earlier, yeah. earlier and later. Yep. Yeah. It's tough for sure. But it, it gets, like I said, it gets easier. It's just kind of one of those things like you just try not to think about it when you're shooting and then take naps. <laughs> naps are your best friend. Yeah. I do a lot of power naps. <laughs> power naps. What, what, 
for for youth archers they do help. i mean look into i mean break into their ranks i mean what what would be the biggest advice you'd give for them i know you came like you said you were doing it at two years old so you didn't know any different yeah um i mean they both started young um uh, and I mean, within within the state, I and mean, Dewey, like I said, he he's on the top of his game. Brian's I mean, won multiple times at the state level. Um, he won the the that first trophy division at Lancaster a few years back. Uh, so they both had their success. Um, what would be the biggest advice to to continue the success and not let it get to your head where now you start walking in too relaxed mm -hmm. with a little bit? I don't want to say cocky attitude, but no, almost. That's a thing for sure. I've seen that happen a lot. Um, so honestly, first and foremost, a lot of the times you see kids that are shooting and I can in a second tell the difference between kids that are shooting because they truly love it and kids that are shooting because their parents are making them shoot. Those kids are never going to last. And so, I, okay, one thing I do want to say, I'm obviously brutally honest. So let me just leave with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've had a couple of each in my Joe Ed program, so I, I can see the difference as well. Okay, so with knowing that the kids that um, their parents are making them do that, well, maybe their parent loves FIDA and wants them to be an Olympian and shoot recurve, but maybe that kid would love compound and love to go shoot field. So here's the thing that is so beautiful about archery. There are so many formats. There's known, there's unknown, there's ASA, there's dots, there's no dots, there's indoor, there's a ton of different kinds of indoor, there's different targets indoor, there's FIDA, there's, I mean, dude, I could go on forever of all the different OPA, like, and then you get the random ones like that that pop up. And so for all of the kids, whether you're already one that loves it or you, you don't yet, maybe you haven't found your niche yet, find what you love and stick with that. Um, I probably wouldn't have the same love for archery if over the years my parents had forced me to shoot indoor events and go to indoor events because for years I hated that. I finally, years later, three years ago now, made the decision, you know what, I want to be competitive with that and I want to shoot it. And I want to do this. And I did it on my terms. They didn't force me. They never made me. I literally took months off normally from like September, or August, September to like February. I didn't touch my bow except for some fun tournaments and stuff. Even when I was shooting on the pro circuit back in the day, um, I did what I loved. And I think that made it easier for me to stay engaged and stay involved and like not get burnt out. Um, like I, I said earlier, you know, it's like, oh, I don't really like FIDA. And a lot of times people are like, oh, well, don't just say that. And it's like, why? Like, there's 20 kinds of archery. I'm not going to like them all. Why lie and say that I do? Like, other people shouldn't feel bad if there's something they like more than another one. Um, so anyway, like I said, I would go in, I'd shoot some. And then, because I'd miss it. And then I'd come back and be like, hmm, don't miss it anymore. I'm just going to, you know, stop this. And I'll go try ASA for a year. And I would move around and just, I did what made me happy in the sport, honestly. And I think that's why I found success because I enjoyed it all the way through. Um, I wasn't doing it because I felt like I had to, or I was forced. Um, I really liked it. And so I think each kid needs to find what they're truly passionate about and pursue that. And that may change along the way. Like I said, mine has, um, I've added things, I've taken things out and I've done it multiple times over and that's okay. But as long as you feel like you're getting out of it, what you want and you're, you know, willing to put in the work to be successful, then I feel like you're on the right path. And as far as, uh, just one last thing to add, as far as like shooting in your own division or jumping up and vice versa, like a lot of people ask me that all the time for their kids. And I don't have an honest answer because everyone is so different. 
Um, there are kids that if they went from winning every tournament in the junior division or, you know, Bowman Cub, whatever, to all of a sudden getting their butt kicked in a pro division and they're young and there's like no end in sight to when they could maybe even podium that might burn them out and discourage them and, you know, kill their confidence. And now they don't want to shoot anymore. Um, or they could take that how I did and, and it could go a totally different way. So I tell their each parent, like, this is what I did and this is why this is what a lot of other kids do. And this is why, and you really need to sit down with your child, talk that through, decide what they want. What's their end goal. Is their goal just to win tournaments right now in the, in the youth division? If it is leave them there, like let them build that confidence and that love and, you know, be competitive. Um, what's their end goal. And, and then evaluate, start from that and walk backwards on how they're going to get there. And that's honestly what I did. And that's kind of how I ended up here today. You see that with youth sports a lot in, in both directions where you'll have that one standout and that one standout nine. I, I coached high school soccer and baseball for 15 years. So the mindset of coaching, regardless of the sport, is the same. So you'll get that that nine-year-old in, in the U10 soccer division who should be playing with the 13-year-olds and all the parents are upset that, oh, he doesn't belong here. He, why not? He's nine. Yep. He has every right to play here and score all the goals he can at a nine-year-old. Or you get that parent that says oh no I'm going to be the proud parent that has a nine-year-old playing with the 13-year-olds and now the kid gets pushed off the ball and can't do what he could have mm-hmm. built confidence with in the other side so it yeah. is that that tricky formula of which way do you go with it do you let them it's, excel or or go even beyond excelling yeah. with the with their proper age group or or go up and honestly like I said it's so dependent on each person's individual personality and that's where, um, again, like, I feel like this is such a mental sport that like being honest with yourself is so important that like making those decisions is a big deal. Like when, uh, I made that decision in NFAA, USA Archer, you can jump all around. No big deal. I could go shoot senior and go back and shoot both. Yeah. Cause, cause, there, cause there's no, cause there's no pro. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Once you declare, once you declare pro, you have to. Not even just pro. that. Once you shoot up in any division, Maybe they've changed it now, but when I was that age, if I shot up into youth and I was a cub, I couldn't go back to cub. So for every age division, once you shot up, there was no going back. So making that jump in NFAA saying like, Hey, I want to go pro. Well, maybe I could like not have a pro card and go back and then like try to shoot with the senior adults, but still I was what, like 15. I still had years till I would have shot with them anyway. So it was a huge decision. Like I put a lot of thought into it. It took a lot of time, but like I said, I said, what do I want to be in the end? What's my end goal? And I knew, I knew what I wanted. And then I said, well, what's the way that's going to get me there? Do I want to shoot with the kids and not feel like I'm pushed, but I'm winning. And that's kind of good for my like confidence and self-image and all that stuff. Or do I want to shoot with the people that are, you know, so much better than me that I'm going to have to push myself to rise to their level. I chose that one. Um, but it, like I said, it won't work like that for everybody. Everyone's minds are so different. So I really think you just have to know yourself and know your kid to make that right call. Yeah, I know when I, I know I've seen when I was little, Good. Uh, I when I started shooting, uh, I was winning every shoot at ten yards, and it got like just deja vu almost. Yeah. So then I went and I jumped up to the twenty yards, and I shot right next to my dad all the way through, and uh, I went up that. Uh, lip just to challenge myself more because it was getting just normal at 10 and then it became 
shooting up into FIDA, I'd shoot with the adults at Hall's warm-ups and stuff. And I would be able yeah. to shoot with them and be confident at it. Mm -hmm. So remember how we talked about like the success versus like winning kind of thing earlier. That's where, when I jumped up, I knew like, Hey, I'm not just going to roll in and win pro events at my age, especially without the experience, that's not going to happen. So I had to very much set my goals of success and what I considered to be success off me, my scores and my goals, not what the other women pro women at that time were doing, you know? And so that's how I got through that. Cause I went from same thing, winning to jumping up and then losing. And that's kind of a hard pill to swallow when quite frankly, you're pretty used to winning. Um, but if you step back, you reset your goals, you evaluate based off how you're doing, not how everybody else is doing. It makes that process a little bit more manageable, or even if you're frustrated, it's a little bit easier to like swallow that pill. I had a girl in my Joe program that shot nationals last year. And what I tried to do in our local USA indoor nationals is I like to shoot the 8 a.m. line and have my team shoot at noon so then I can coach. Mm -hmm. well, her mother signed her up late, so she had to shoot at 8 o'clock, so I couldn't really coach her. On the first day, we were opposite A-B line, so in between, I was able to run down, check on her, and run back mm -hmm. a few times. The second day, we were shooting the same A line, so I couldn't check on her, so I'm checking the scores, and early in the day, she had one miss. It was her first miss of the weekend, and I'm like, all right, she's okay, and then second half, it's like, oh, there's two, now there's four, now there's seven, and I think in the end, she ended up with like seven or eight misses, and she has her head down in the bleachers. I'm talking to her, and I said, you realize you scored nine points higher this year than you did last year with seven misses? I said, you didn't do anything wrong. You ran out of gas. You don't practice. That's the only thing you did wrong. You were physically not conditioned yep. to shoot what it three three days because she yeah. shot Joette on Friday, then Saturday, then Sunday. She just ran out of gas. And and then as soon as I said that to her, you can kind of see the smile come that she realized she was successful. Yeah. I mean, after realizing, I mean, nine points better with seven misses. And it was literally just out of gas. And yep. but once you realized and you had her look at success versus win or loss. Yep. It, it definitely sunk in better. And you just brought up a whole other point of what were you actually prepared for? Because it's really easy to say, oh, well, I expect to go in and clean it. Well, if you haven't cleaned it yet in practice and you're not practicing, it's probably a pretty unrealistic expectation. So I feel like you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Um, and so again, there's, and I'll say this, like, well, okay, our schedule is insane. There is definitely events that I am more prepared for during the year and events I am not. There's events where I feel like I put the time and effort in and there's events where I'm completely winging it. I'm not going to lie. And you have to evaluate yourself at the end based off of that knowledge going into it. Um, and that's something, again, you just have to be honest with yourself. It's like, well, how much time was I ready? Did I actually, how are my sight marks? Was my stuff right on, you know, like there's things like that where something could go wrong and it's probably my fault you know, or whoever's fault that didn't prepare. Um, and you can't expect great outcomes if you're not going in prepared. So that's kind of one of those things. Now, again, with our crazy schedule, the key is really learning to go in and succeed, even if you're not prepared. Like we don't get an excuse because we travel so much. That's still not a reason to not do well, even though it kind of is. Um, but when you're younger, you know, it, it's easier if you're not on the road as much to have that time to put into it. You had a couple questions. Um, what what do you like to hunt with better, a rifle or bow? Definitely a bow. Um, I do like rifle hunting because it's like a whole different 
you know, ball game, but archery hunting's cool just because you're so much closer and I shoot my bow so much, um, that I really just prefer hunting like with that. I feel like personally for me, hunting with a rifle is so much easier. I don't get the same thrill. I don't get the same like nervousness as I do, you know, when I'm going to go hunt with a bow, it just feels kind of easy. It'd be like, getting to go shoot Vegas at 10 yards instead of 20, it's like shoot, you know, it's like shooting a recurve or a compound. Exactly. They got the training yeah. wheels. I no, I agree. I, I, I call those things struggles. Well, all right. Well, um, that's how I was going to say, you know, Chuck Cooley, he said the same thing. He said, nah, I can't do that. That's a struggle stick. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I want to see a, a, a tournament between the power couples and you and Tate, Steven, Linda, and we'll have Brady shoot your small target at 50, but with his recurve Dude. and let's see. Brady. Okay. We were shooting this year at Lancaster, getting ready for Lancaster. We'd all flown back from Nîmes, So all of us landed there a few days early. Um, just kind of jet lagged, jet lagged. There wasn't really time to go home. So we all just kind of stayed there for two or three days leading up to the tournament and practice Lancaster. And we were shooting games head to head, like all of us compounders and Brady with his recurve. And he would occasionally beat us with his recurve, he'd shoot like a 327 or 26 X, you know, we'd shoot a 27 or 20, 25, you know, whatever one less. And it was like, I'm like, yeah, you don't get a compound. I'm not kidding. Brady, if you watch this, don't take this the wrong way. But sometimes I swear, I think he shoots higher scores with his recurves than he would if he shot the same thing with his compound. It's pretty nuts how incredibly he, he complains that he shoots his recurve better than his compound. Okay, good. So then I didn't. Make he, he, yeah. He, he has made comments about that many times how that, I think it's more upset that he can't shoot his compound as well as he shoots his recurve, but it goes back into what are you practicing more? Yeah, exactly. That's and if you ever listen to how he pulls through a shot, I don't think he's human because he says he doesn't even pull through a shot. He just kind of relaxes and his chest does this and his body does that. And it just goes off on him. And he's um, just, he's done it for so long that he's not really having to actively think about what he's doing. It just kind of does it, you know? And that's where it's like, he, he just has a subconscious that's so strong that it just knows what it needs to do. So again, as long as I think it's his, his conscious mind stays out of the way, like his subconscious knows what it's supposed to be doing. Um, even Tate, the other day we were talking about like how to execute releases and different stuff like that. And I asked him, you know, what do you do in your hand? He's like, draw back and just sit there and the bow shoots itself. Well, okay. If you're going to teach it, you definitely can't say that. That's not how it actually works. But in his mind, that's how it works. He doesn't think, okay, push. Okay. Pull. Okay. Add pressure. You know, he's not thinking that he literally draws back, sits there and the bow fires. And so it just goes to show that like, you know, they're not sitting there thinking about every single little step as they're doing it. It just happens naturally. We have a guy that we shoot with who's competed. He's competed in bodybuilding. His son competed in bodybuilding. So he's got the competitive thing and he watches me shoot. I mean, from a physical standpoint, but also the mental game. And he's like, you never look nervous. I think I was nervous for one shot at Lancaster. I was down a point going into that fourth end in my head to head. Um, and I ended up winning it, but I said, I don't know. I just, I've been coaching for years. He goes, no, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. But sometimes like he said, you got to be able to explain it. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you very much. You've given us the time yeah, for the so podcast. Uh, do you have, and what, what one last piece of advice for the, for the youth that are doing this and man, just try and stay motivated. Like I said, I know right now is crazy. Um, I mean, we're obviously sitting here on a, you know, zoom call right now, but if you are stuck home and you can't practice with somebody or you can't see your friends and you're, you know, bored of practicing alone, we have this really cool thing called technology. And so like Tate and I used to do that when he, 
Montana and I was here, we'd call each other on the phone and shoot head-to-head matches against each other, even though we weren't in the same place. And so there are still so many ways that you can get good practice in, even though you can't go to the range and be with your friends, you know, and, and do that stuff in person. So just try to get through it. Honestly, don't quit. Don't give up. Like eventually I think we'll get back to normal. Um, and you want to be ready when that happens, you know? So I don't get me wrong either. There's a very fine line of practicing too much and not practicing enough. And when you know, you're not going to have a shoot for a few months, like I'm not practicing, like I'm leading right up to the Olympics. You know what I mean? Like I'm shooting some here and some there to where my subconscious stays on point. My strength is good, but I'm not training like I'm training for a marathon next week. Um, so, you know, understand that there are different ways to train different amounts that you need to be shooting based off what you're training for at that time. And right now it's basically just maintain, or if there's something you need to work on, then obviously work on that. So you can come out better in the end. But if you're not actively working on something, just maintain and coast through this until we can get going again. Thank you so much, Paige. Sounds good. Thanks again. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you guys for having me. Hey guys, it's Coach Jay here. I want to thank you for listening to the show. Uh, this one was particularly very exciting for me to have Paige on. Uh, I've been coaching for well over 20 years, with uh, 15 years of that coaching high school soccer and baseball, and those are definitely some of the most enjoyable years of my life. And as my kids got older, uh, I stepped away from coaching. Uh, now I joined the dark side. I'm actually a soccer official, but to keep my coaching up, uh, I went back to shooting a bow, something I did in Boy Scouts years ago and about six, seven years ago, my entire family started shooting and I myself became a level three USA archery coach and absolutely love the sport. Uh, It's a great sport for anyone to do. And for the most athletic or the least athletic people, it is something you can definitely excel at. And if you enjoyed listening to Paige and all the stories that she shared with us, uh, as well as the few that I shared with you, and you think archery might be something that you would like to try, definitely look around your area for local pro shops and see if they have any leagues or teams or anything like that. If you go into the USA Archery page, you can find certified coaches on there. Uh, For the youth, you can look up the local Joad programs, and they can definitely get you started. Uh, If you are in Connecticut, you can go to beammotivation.com and find my page. And like I said, I am a level three coach and I do private lessons as well as coach out of my local club and run the Joad program there. So again, it's an amazing sport. Anyone can do, families can do it. And uh, right now with COVID and everything going on and and your soccer league or baseball league, or especially now as we're going into the winter with indoor sports such as basketball most likely being shut down, um, definitely check out your local pro shop or or find an independent instructor out there and give archery a try. Thanks again for joining the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Power Shift Mindset. We hope you enjoyed the show and would appreciate it if you could give us a like, share, and review. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.